0: come to god's word now and we come to the ten commandments let's pray heavenly father oh we thank you for those songs of praise the ones that we've been singing but also the songs from those university girls over in thailand we pray you bless them they have their whole sort of future in front of them we pray that you jesus will be the center of their lives bless them in the covid times and in their studies and all that in jesus name and as we come to your word we pray for humble and open hearts, may your spirit encourage us and challenge us and so that we can see Jesus afresh. Through his name we pray. Amen. So here's a question. Is it possible to keep all of the laws of the Bible, literally? Surely it must be possible, otherwise God wouldn't have given them all us these laws. So if we're serious, what would it look like to keep all of the Old Testament laws and the ones in the New Testament. What would your day-to-day life look like? Now a certain A.J. Jacobs tried to do exactly this for a whole year and then he wrote a book about it. And the book is called The Year of Living Biblically, one man's humble quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible. And he writes in the introduction, The Year of Living Biblical is my quest to live the ultimate biblical life, to follow every single rule in the Bible as literally as possible I will obey the most famous ones, not just the most famous ones like the Ten Commandments love thy neighbour, be fruitful and multiply, think about that one, but also the oft ignored ones do not wear clothes of mixed fibres do not shave your beard stone adulterers Jacobs, and he's not a Christian, tried this all out in New York City, his hometown. He grew a beard, he dressed like Moses, and he only ate kosher food. Now since the Old Testament commands the stoning of Sabbath breakers, he would prowl around Central Park looking for offenders. And because he didn't want to get arrested, he would take very small pebbles and pelt people from behind with these small pebbles and when of course they looked he would look the other way (laughs) so that was his stoning of Sabbath breakers in Central Park obviously he played this for laughs and he wrote about this in his book he did have some insights along the way but he also demonstrated that it is impossible to keep all of the Old Testament laws in the 21st century And, and last week I gave some reasons why that would never work anyway But maybe his scope was too large. Maybe he should have reduced it instead of all the laws. Maybe he should have just thought, well, I can keep the Ten Commandments literally for a whole year. So that's going to be our focus this morning. Is it possible for you and I just to keep Ten Commandments and what would that look like? Now as a brief update, especially if anyone's visiting here, we've spent the last few months going through the book of Exodus and we've seen how God has wonderfully, powerfully, miraculously rescued the Israelites from slavery. And they they flee, fleed. Is it fleed or flew? It fled. I just, you know, I was thinking about that this morning and got myself tangled up and did it again. They fled, flew and fleed from the Pharaoh <laughs> across the Red Sea as if it was dry land and then through the wilderness. So I've been travelling through the wilderness for six weeks and God's been teaching them what it is to be a people rescued to worship. And now they're at the foot of the mountain. And Moses has gone up, and we saw that last week, and received those wonderfully encouraging words. I have carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Moses has gone back down and shared that encouragement with the people and now he's gone back up to receive the law. And that's where we are today and we see this in Exodus 20 verse 2 and God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery and and there's a twofold tone to this as well on one hand God is a mighty powerful he showed himself and uh, the plagues that he beset to Egypt on the other hand he's their rescuer on the one hand he's holy On the other hand, he's compassionate, he's powerful, and he is kind. These two characteristics of God, which is going to be now represented in the law that they're about to receive, starting with the Ten Commandments. And so as I go through these Ten Commandments briefly, let's keep a tally about how we are keeping these in practice in your life. Mentally, just go through this and give yourself a tick or not a tick as we go through the Ten Commandments. So the first one, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So how does this work out for you and I? Well, what other gods are possible? Well, there's Allah, that's one god. Buddha, a lot of people worship Buddha. Technically, he's not a god, but practically, a lot of people do worship him. If you had anything to do with the Hindu faith, you'll realise that there are multitudes of gods, hundreds, Ganesh, Krishna and the rest. So we know a lot of other gods, but am I worshipping another god? And I'm pretty sure that I, well I can say yes, not pretty sure, that I am not worshipping other gods. Hope you can too. That's the first commandment, give yourself a tick or, or not. The next one, number two, you shall not make for yourself an image. What we're talking about here is idol, something that you could touch, something you can hold. Images of humans, animals or even demonic forms made of wood, precious metal, stone, precious jewels. These idols are bowed to, revered, prayed to, offerings made. So have I any in my house, my office or car? No. Now idols can mean anything that displaces Christ as number one in our lives but when it comes to graven images it's another pass. Two out of two. It's the third one. How are we going with putting these into practice? Number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So do I use Christ as a swear word? No. doesn't happen. Now, Bible teachers and commentators will tell us that it's more than just cussing. It's certainly that. But it involves oath-taking. Certainly in biblical days, not so much now, but there was a time when people say, you know, as God is my witness, this is true or this is not true, or whatever. And so uh, this commandment is talking about doing that sort of thing, taking an oath and then breaking that oath, misusing God's name. Uh, What's about the next one? Number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now this is a little bit more fuzzy for a number of us. Those with a Monday to Friday 9 to 5 job can get away with not working Sundays, Maybe. But what about those farming, those in healthcare, retail, emergency services? Remember Jacob's flicking small stones at the Sabbath breakers? It's all a bit silly, really. However, I'm sure if I put my mind to it, I could keep the Sabbath, but that one's a little bit on the fuzzy side for me. How about you? Number five. Number five is honour your father and your mother. Now again, Bible commentators will tell us this is aimed at adult children with their older parents so this particular command is not so much with little children there are other places in the Bible which call for our little children to obey their parents but in this context it's more of us honouring as adults, honouring our parents so for those of us who still have parents alive, blessed to have that how are we going with honouring our mother and father number six You shall not murder. Well, that's easy. I won't ask for a show of hands because that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But I'll assume that we have no murderers in the house and that we all give that a tick. You shall not commit adultery is number seven. Definitely no. Being married to the gorgeous Judy, I must admit, does help for me. As an aside, I'm reminded of a edition of the Bible, the 1631 King James edition of the Bible. It had a typo error. Imagine of all the bio, all the words in the Bible that you might want to miss out, and the word "not" was missed out from this commandment. <laughs> you shall commit adultery. I wonder if that was a particularly popular edition. I wonder if it flew off the shelf once people realised that. Goodness me, of all the words to miss out. I wonder if one of the people did it on purpose. But I, I, I'm just guessing. <laughs> But joking aside, it's something that we should not take lightly. Number eight, you shall not steal. I'm all good here. My accountant's creative tax returns is all above a board. So he assures me. So let's move on quickly to the next one. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Now most of us generalise this into you shall not lie, and that's okay because later on in Leviticus it's very clear in Leviticus nineteen and eleven, do not lie, do not deceive one another. But specifically this commandment is about deceiving your neighbours. You'll have to ask Carl how I get on with that since he's my neighbour. But Carl, I can say that I'm trying not to deceive you and I've taken that from you as well. But anyway, that's a tick there. And we come to this one. Yeah, come on, if you've been honest, if you ever read this and said, why is this one even here, compared to murder and adultery, coveting, looks very harmless, doesn't it? But it's also probably the easiest to break, isn't it? Especially in our culture, 24-7 advertising, urging us to covet, desire, get into debt, take loans to get whatever you want. It's a bit of a national obsession. So I'd be a little bit... Fuzzy with this one as well. Let's do a brief review. I think I'm pretty good with 7 out of 10, Sabbath and lying, a little bit fuzzy, coveting, I'm not even sure why that's there. I wonder how Jesus ranks these commandments. You see what I've been doing here? I have been not using the law properly. Hopefully some of you are feeling a bit uncomfortable what you are hearing for the last few minutes because I have been dismissing the law, especially the first two. Calvin famously said that our hearts are idle factories and we're always looking for something to push Jesus to the side, but I dismissed that very quickly. Uh, I glossed over others, minimised, blamed my accountant, and above all I was rude enough to compare myself to the people sitting in front of me. This is not how the Ten Commandments were designed to work. Reminds me of a couple who tried their best to be good Christians, but they only even made it to church a couple of times a year because they were just so busy. And the pastor one time, he, he saw them when they were just about to leave and said, would love to see you more than twice a year. And the couple said, yes I know, we'd like to be here more often but we're so busy, our lives are full and active but at least we keep the Ten Commandments. And the the pastor said, well how so? And the husband said very proudly, I keep six and my wife keeps the other four. (laughs) (sighs) See how we all try and wiggle out somehow under the law and misuse it and by Jesus' day all this minimising and justifying and explaining away had crept into the Jewish way of life and to their credit the Pharisees tried to correct this they tried to hold all of the people of Israel accountable to the law of God but unfortunately they went too far and they ended up to being the Ten Commandment police banging on to everyone to keep each law literal and then using the fact that they were keeping the law in their mind as a way of belittling others. So they were misusing the law. And in all this came the long-awaited Messiah. Surely Jesus would make it possible for us to obey the Ten Commandments. He would show us the way. But no, Jesus came and did the opposite. Jesus came and made it even harder for us to obey the Ten Commandments. Even harder. And you might say, well, how so? Well, let's look at the two uh, the easiest laws, the two laws that I said were the easiest to keep. Do not murder, do not commit adultery. Now, hand on heart, I can say that I've done neither of those. But to that, Jesus says, Douglas, don't be so cocky. You have no idea. Let me tell you why you can't even keep the two easiest laws. And then Jesus, I'm sure, will point me to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said in Matthew five twenty one, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. So Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments, number six. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Jesus is saying that even if I get angry and hold bitterness in my heart, then I am a lawbreaker. I've broken the sixth commandment and a guiltier judgment. Uh, but in an attempt to wiggle out of this, I'd say, but, uh, well, that may be so. Unfair that it is, Jesus. But at least I haven't committed adultery. Hand on heart. I've been faithful in my marriage. And to which Jesus will probably sigh and shake his head and wonder why he's putting up with me. And then draw my attention to Matthew chapter 5 just a little later in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So he's quoting the 10th commandment, number 7. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lord, Lord, I stand condemned. I am without excuse I am the worst of sinners. And this is how the law is used properly. You see, all my minimising, comparing, making excuses makes no difference to God. In these futile attempts, I'm actually trying to use the law to put things right. So there's the Ten Commandments, and I obviously have broken some of them, if not all of them. And therefore, how do I get right with God? I try harder at obeying them. And that's not using the law properly. For those that heard last week's sermon, I compared the law to a mirror. A mirror allows us to see that our face is dirty, but we don't use the mirror to clean our face. And that's what I was trying to do before by justifying and comparing. Not only that, Jesus comes and polishes the mirror so that my dirty face becomes even more obvious. And that's how the law gets used properly. It was never meant to be a checklist for those to see whether they made the grade or not. The law, the Ten Commandments, are very important for they call for restraint. They set boundaries so that we know when we've crossed them. But when we've crossed them, we cannot turn to the law to help us because the, the law is like a mirror that shows us our dirty face. Now the Apostle Paul uses another image for the law that really helps us understand what the law is about and he does this in the book of Galatians. Instead of using the image of a mirror, he uses the image of a tutor, a guardian. Let's have a look at Galatians 3, 23 and 25. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And then verse 25 says, Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. So what's all this talk about the word guardian? Well, in the original Greek, it's a very specific word and it's for a slave tutor. So if you were a wealthy family, how would you educate your children? You didn't have schools like we have. What would happen is that there would be slaves captured in war who were bright academic teachers, whatever. And so instead of getting them to wash the dishes, you'd pay a bit more as a wealthy owner and you would get one of these slaves who was a tutor. You would then put them in charge of your children to grow academically and morally. So you would be passing on the responsibility to this slave tutor, this guardian, and they would be able to discipline the children within reason and bring them up academically and morally. But everybody knew there was a day when the child would then become master of that slave. There would reach a time when that child would no longer have to listen to that tutor, but would actually be the, well the owner, really. The Master of that tutor, and that's what Paul's saying the law was like before Jesus came, the law was like our tutor and was was showing us the way to behave, but also when we crossed the line that would broken the way uh, that would um, broken the law, and all the time this was pointing us to Jesus and he makes this clear a few verses on in Galatians chapter four, verse two the year is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So that's exactly what I've been talking about. You to a child who's five or six being brought up uh, in the ways of moral learning and academia by this guardian, this tutor, but once that child has reached the age the father decides, let's say 18, well then that, that tutor has no authority over the child and that's the same that's happened with the law. Verse 3 so also when we were under age we were in slavery under the elementary spiritual forces of this world which is just the way of Paul saying the law kept on showing us that we were under slavery and no matter how much we tried we couldn't obey the law. But when the time, the set time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law. Redeem is a word for rescued from slavery. Whenever you read the word "redeem" in the Bible, think rescued from slavery. That we might be receive adoption to sonship, and it talks about that wonderful bit about how because the Spirit then comes into us as sons and daughters, and allows us to cry to our heavenly Father the words "Abba" or "Dear Father." So, did you see that verse which says Jesus was born under the law? What does that mean? Well, it's very important for understanding our salvation. Jesus was born fully human as well as fully God, and because he was born fully human, the law was over him like a guardian. The difference was Jesus was the only person who ever fully obeyed the law, every single law. His enemies looked at Jesus' life to try and find areas where he had broken the law so they could bring it up in public and embarrass him, but they could find no fault, no sin, no even neglecting of the smallest of regulations. So Jesus was the only person who fully obeyed the law, which means that when he went to the cross, he could fulfil the law. Or how so? Well, not only did Jesus fully obey the law, but he freely, willingly, and to please his heavenly Father, went to the cross and took our punishment, our curse on us. Those Ten Commandments, none of us, certainly not me, none of us can obey the Ten Commandments. I am a lawbreaker. I stand before you a lawbreaker. Because I am a lawbreaker, judgment is coming and it will be eternal. That is the curse of the law. Not the law itself, but the fact is that we break the law. And I am cursed. But the good news of the Gospel, Paul explains in Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us, rescued us from slavery, from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree, or in this translation a poem. So here I stand, a lawbreaker. I am cursed under the law without hope, until Jesus came, fully obeyed the law, fulfilled the law, and then took my curse upon him that is the joy of the gospel. Wonderfully put in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. So the Ten Commandments, we can't obey them literally or even half obey them. They're doing their job by, like a mirror, showing us where we fall short but they are also doing a job as a guardian, showing us the way that we should go, pointing to Jesus, putting the boundaries there. And so this is why the gospel is such good news. The law points to the dirtiness on my face and Jesus wipes our face clean. And he did that because he took the curse upon himself. So let's pull this together. What have we seen this morning? Well, we've seen it's impossible to keep the whole law. It's even impossible just to keep 10 of the commandments. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount shows us that even when we were angry or looked lustfully, we fall short. And the law was never supposed to be a checklist so that we could tick off and hope that 7 out of 10 was a past mark. It was never a guide to compare ourselves. I get seven out of ten, which means I'm way better than someone who gets five out of ten. That's not how we use the law. The law is like a tutor that was sent to guide us and to direct us in the right way that we should go and that when we broke the law to point us to Jesus. Each of the big ten, each of the ten commandments show us something about God's character they also show us where we fall short. And when this happens, we are driven to the foot of the cross, where we are forgiven, made new, adopted as sons and daughters. This is the good news of the gospel. There is no other God like our God who is a holy God, but quick to show compassion and mercy on his children. He is our master and our friend. We have been rescued to worship, and this is our joy and delight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Ten Commandments that they have been our tutor and our guide to give us direction, to call for restraint, but also when we break the laws, to not be under the curse but point us to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to follow Jesus more dearly. When the law points out our failings, Lord, may we be quick to repent humble in our request for forgiveness and committed by your Spirit, putting things right. Mould us to be more like Jesus. Teach us what it is to be a people rescued to worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.